Hey everyone, technically you're getting two days in history today because we're running two episodes from the History Vault. You'll also hear two hosts, me and Tracy V. Wilson. Hope you enjoy. Welcome to this day in history class from HowStuffWorks.com and from the desk of Stuff You Missed in History Class. It's the show where we explore the past one day at a time with a quick look at what happened today in history. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy V. Wilson and it's September 14th. U.S. President William McKinley died on this day in 1901 after being shot on September 6th of that year. When he was shot, McKinley was at the Pan-American Exposition in Buffalo, New York. At the time, Buffalo was one of the largest cities in the United States thanks to its position relative to both the Erie Canal and the major railroads. As another bonus, it was very close to Niagara Falls, which had become a major tourist attraction. McKinley had been re-elected in 1900, and he wanted to attend the exposition, which had been postponed before due to the Spanish-American War. These expositions highlighted a very particular idea of American progress. It really showed off the United States as a place of innovation and culture, and those were among the reasons why McKinley wanted to be there. He also wanted to have a lengthy meet and greet outside of the Temple of Music at the exposition. This was against the advice of his advisors, who were increasingly worried about the threat of an assassination, especially after the assassination of Umberto Primo of Italy on July 29th of 1900. McKinley was in the habit of having these handshake appearances after his speeches and addresses, and he just refused to give them up. All his team could do was to add more security. They could not convince him not to do it. So... The president was shaking hands on September 6th when 28-year-old Leon Cholgos shot him twice. Cholgos was an anarchist. He was inspired by that assassination in Italy, and he believed that McKinley was an enemy of the American people and that McKinley was doing what was best for the rich and powerful while ignoring the needs of the working class. Cholgos had actually planned to assassinate McKinley the day before When he got there, he wasn't confident that he could make his shot. So he tried again at the public receiving line with his gun concealed in a handkerchief. One of the two bullets that he fired was deflected by a button on McKinley's clothing, and the other hit him in the abdomen. Security and the crowd turned on Cholgos. When this happened, McKinley, though, called out for him to be captured and not harmed. The president underwent surgery at the exposition hospital. They did not really have a surgeon on staff. The doctor who did this procedure was a gynecologist named Matthew Mann. This was before the development of modern sanitary surgical procedures. Mann basically felt around inside the president's bullet wound with his fingers. He couldn't find the bullet and sewed the president's wound up. For several days after that, McKinley seemed to be improving, but he collapsed on September 13, 1901, and he died the following day. Vice President Theodore Roosevelt had come to Buffalo after the shooting, but he had gone back to his family vacation because it seemed like McKinley was going to pull through. He came back to Buffalo and was sworn in as president about 13 hours after McKinley's death. So for that window of time, there was technically no president. After an autopsy... The cause of the president's death was determined to be an infection and gangrene. After a funeral in Washington, D.C., McKinley's body was returned to his hometown of Canton, Ohio. 
Cholgos was tried for murder and sentenced to death. And before his execution, he said, quote, I killed the president because he was the enemy of the good people, the good working people. I am not sorry for my crime. I am only sorry I could not get to see my father. You can learn more about the assassination of President McKinley as well as other presidential assassinations in the November 9th and 11th, 2015 episodes of Stuff You Missed in History class, which are called New York Super Week Live Assassination History Parts 1 and 2. In those episodes, we interview author Brian Young about his book, A Children's Illustrated History of Presidential Assassinations. You can subscribe to the Stay in History class on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you get your podcasts. And you can tune in tomorrow for some folks wrecking trains for fun and profit. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to This Day in History class, where we bring you a new tidbit from history every day. The day was September 14, 1921. Constance Baker Motley was born in New Haven, Connecticut. Motley was the first Black woman elected to the New York State Senate and the first Black woman to be named a federal court judge. Constance was the ninth of 12 children. Her parents, Willoughby Alva Baker and Rachel Baker, immigrated to the United States from the island of Nevis. Constance's father worked as a chef at a private club associated with Yale University, but their family was one of modest means. Her mother founded the New Haven chapter of the NAACP. Though there were not a ton of Black people in New Haven when she was a child, Constance learned about Black history through her church. In high school, she became more interested in politics, race relations, law, and Black history. During this time, she served as president of the city's youth council and secretary for New Haven's Adult Community Center. When she was 15 years old, she decided she wanted to become a lawyer. She graduated with honors from New Haven High School in 1939, but she could not afford to pay for her college tuition. She began working for the local branch of the National Youth Administration, a job she got thanks to her administrative skills and experience in public service. After a philanthropist named Clarence Blakesley heard her speak at a meeting, he offered to pay her way through college and law school. She took him up on the offer, and she went to Fisk University, then transferred to New York University, where she graduated with an economics degree in 1943. Three years later, she graduated from Columbia University Law School. Constance later said that people did not believe she would be successful in the legal profession. But in her last year of law school, she was selected to be a law clerk for Thurgood Marshall, the chief counsel of the NAACP Legal Defense and Educational Fund, or the LDF. Over the years, Marshall would become a mentor to Constance. At the time, the LDF was challenging the separate but equal standard that said public accommodations could be racially segregated as long as the facilities were equal. In 1946, she married Joel Wilson Motley, a real estate insurance broker, and they later had a child. She stayed at the LDF for 20 years, becoming assistant counsel and then later the organization's principal trial lawyer. 
When she was principal legal counsel, she worked on civil rights cases that involved ending discrimination in education, housing, employment, transportation, and public accommodations. She prepared the draft complaint for the case that turned into the landmark U.S. Supreme Court case, Brown v. Board of Education, in which the Supreme Court ruled in favor of the LDF. And Motley would go on to appear in state and federal courts around the country to argue cases on segregation and issues raised by Brown v. Board. She played an important role in many lawsuits the NAACP filed in major cases that coincided with the emergence of the civil rights movement. From 1958 to 1965, Motley was also a member of the New York State Advisory Council on Employment and Unemployment Insurance. After the death of activist Medgar Evers, with whom she had worked closely, she resigned from the LDF and turned to government work full-time. She served out the unexpired term of New York State Senator James Watson and won re-election in 1964. In office, she remained focused on housing, employment, and education. In 1965, she was elected president of the Manhattan Borough, becoming the first woman to head any of the five boroughs. And the next year, President Lyndon B. Johnson named her a judge in the U.S. District Court for the Southern District of New York. Conservative judges and politicians protested this appointment, but she was sworn into office in September of 1966. Motley died of congestive heart failure in 2005. Throughout her career in law and politics, she was recognized for being a respected jurist and for being dedicated to fighting for desegregation, civil rights demonstrators, other issues of racism and discrimination, and matters as varied as First Amendment protest rights and sex discrimination. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you have any burning questions or comments to tell us, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at TDIHC Podcast. Thanks for showing up. We'll meet here again tomorrow. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.